Well, good evening. Thank you for coming out to our August 8th um, Sunday night church. And uh, I think there's going to be enough seating if there's, if you, if, if anybody could move to the middle so that people in the back could find a spot to sit on the end of the aisles, we can still do that. Um, I know it's really hard for, um, I shouldn't say hard for the church to compete. What I was trying to say is that there are so many other really good things to do on the last few August Sunday evenings of the, of the summer that a lot of people are making good choices with their families, and that's fine. And so um, I do appreciate you all coming out, though, and encouraging our effort here in, in, uh, in representing. And then also I hope that people will listen to this on the podcast, and maybe it'll be such a good podcast that we can refer it to others again. So this... Um, one of the goals I have is for this fall is we really are trying to do two things as a church. I don't really think that there's a lot of programs or a lot of um, you know big kickoff stuff or a lot of super hard ministry. There's just two areas that I want to focus on as a church, and one of them for sure is our outreach. And so I'm so grateful that Joel is uh, leading in that initiative, the invite your one or who's your one. There's a lot of ways to say that, and other churches have done that material before, and so that's kind of a cool thing. And uh, Joel spoke last Sunday night about it, and it was a really good message. And so we, that program initiative is underway, and we're just trying to encourage each of us to individually reach out to somebody. But the other thing that is very important, and that is um, that we as a board are asking our church to look at is spiritual formation. And tonight's goal is to answer the question, why spiritual formation? But it, uh, pre, it presumes that we know what we mean by spiritual formation and what's going on. And so in some ways, this is a, a little bit of a biographical journey for me to explain to you how I came to where we are with this. Um, I had, I had uh, man, man, it must be five years ago at least now, that I had heard a, a podcast um, on my, I listened to podcasts, and then there was one podcast from the Gospel Coalition by a pastor named Randy Pope, who's a pastor of Perimeter Church. Uh, he planted a church called Perimeter Church down in the Atlanta area, somewhere in Georgia. And I've never heard of him before or since, actually. I, I, he has, the church seems to be going gangbusters, so it's a nice church, a good church but he's a good reformed theologian and all that. And he was doing a workshop and the name of the workshop was Pastor Don't Outsource Your Discipleship. And so it seems sort of like an odd title and the first 10 minutes of the podcast I don't listen to very often. It was just background for different approaches. But then he went into this discussion of how to do this and I, I knew enough about it that I wanted to hear it again. So I did this strange thing, I, I saved the podcast, so that I could listen to it again without having to search it up. And when you do that, it's kind of like always the last one on the burner. So whenever I would listen to my other podcast, you know, Alistair McBeg or Alistair McBeg? Alistair Beg. I don't know why I want to put it Mick on it. And yeah, he is, he isn't he? And then uh, R.C. Sproul and uh, other good podcasts, uh, 
Rainer in leadership, just a lot of ones that I listened to, whenever they would all run out, this one would fire again. And hey, I'm just working anyway, or I'm just driving anyway. So I listened to, so I probably listened to the same podcast a dozen times. It, and he's got a Southern accent and it's kind of winsome. And I, I can hear him say, bet you don't, you know, there's this accent. And, and so it was really, and it, I, it was not on purpose, but I thank God was pounding me in the head over and over and over with this material until I got it. And he is where I first heard the summary of the gospel being, we lost it all, Jesus did it all, and, we, and then we get it all. And that was the first time I'd ever heard it abbreviated that way. It's biblical, right? It's not rocket science, but that's an acute way of saying it cleanly. And, um, and he said, I bet you don't. And, you know, we all believe that. He says, but I bet you don't. And then he gave some illustrations. And he pointed out that we all tend to think that we lost a lot, but not that we lost at all. We didn't really lose everything. We still have some goodness in us somewhere. And therefore, Jesus did a lot. He did a lot. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He did a lot, but he didn't do it all. See, we have to do a little bit. And then... Therefore, we get a lot. We get a lot. You get to be part of the church. You get eternal life, but you don't get it all. You don't get God's unmerited, unbounded love and favor. So I, I realized through that uh, ministry that I had, in many ways, I could say the right thing. I always said, oh, yes, Jesus did it all. But I, in my heart, kind of believed I still needed to do, that he did a lot, and I needed to do something extra. And it wasn't to be saved, but it was to be in relationship with him. I, he would be upset with me if I, if I messed up. And he would like me more if I didn't, if I did good things. And so that, that basic paradigm that my relationship on a day-to-day -day basis with God was based upon my performance was something that, like many of us, haunts us all the time, right? That's the world's view. That's, that's the flesh rising up and saying, I somehow deserve God's favor because of what I did, rather than recognizing the total grace nature that Jesus did it all. And the solution to my problem is not to try harder to make Jesus like me more, but to try harder to believe what's already true, that Jesus loves me that much, and he's already conquered my sin. And so it's a faith game, not a works game, if you understand. So anyway, he was the one who introduced that to me. But in the, in, that was sort of a, a, a mind-life-changing perspective for me. Um, it wasn't that I wasn't a Christian before. It's just that I had a better understanding of the gospel. But the other thing was that he talked about this particular ministry of spiritual formation. And so he, he tries to answer eight questions in the podcast. And I, and I actually wrote out a, a, um, a clear outline of the whole podcast. And I have all eight questions. And, and, I have, and I studied it and studied it. And it became the basis for what we call spiritual formation groups at our church. And so I, I'm taking the liberty tonight to try to go through those eight questions so that you understand what we're trying to talk about here and so that you can evaluate whether or not you could be part of it. So the first question is, um, what is the goal of spiritual formation? And so that, that's a hard question to answer unless you know what we mean by spiritual formation. So what is a definition of spiritual formation 
is what is God trying to do in your life? What is God's goal? What does he want to do in your life? How would you answer that question? What is, what is God doing if, you, if at the end of your life he said, I succeeded in what I was doing? What would it look like? What is, that, what is the description of somebody who's been formed spiritually? What is God trying to do? How would you answer that? What are the possible answers? Myriads of answers. Okay, um, Joel said to make us look like Jesus. That's really good, right out of Romans 8, 28, 29, to be conformed to the image of his son. What other ways would you describe it, Katie? Okay, evidence of spiritual fruit in your life. Good. What other ways would you describe it? We have two good verses already. We've gone to Romans 8 and we've gone to John 15. Any other? Examples, what would you, what is God trying to do? How would you describe it? Well, I have a number of verses that I would go to. First of all, um, in Galatians, Paul said uh, he's dealing with these believers who have slipped back into a works-based perspective. And he says, it's fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to do so always, not just when I'm with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. And so Paul is saying, I'm struggling with you. I'm trying to help you. And I'm working really hard. Trying, I feel like I'm in the pains of a mother giving birth until Christ is formed in you. And so he said, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I'm perplexed about you. So Paul was really stressed about what the Galatians were doing. But this stress was labeled by wanting to have Christ formed in them. What does this mean that Christ is formed in you? And, and that would go back to what Joel said, being like Jesus, right? That you would look like Jesus what, or that you would have fruit. Uh, another verse in uh, Colossians, Paul is talking to them. He says, we proclaim him, that's Jesus, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. So this is that Paul's goal is he wants to present, in other words, show God at the end of his life all the people he impacted. He wants to present them fully mature in Christ. He wants them to be mature believers. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works for or in me. So Paul would say that everything he worked on, he worked on it hard through the energy of Christ to present other people mature in Christ. Um, Ephesians says, Christ himself gave the apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So that equipping term and being built up, again, until we all reach unity in the faith, and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And so what God wants for us is that you and I would be mature believers that fill up to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So whatever it means to be a follower of Jesus would be right up to the max, right? Your tank would be full. And so those are all ways of saying basically the same things we've already said is God is working on to make us mature and equipped believers. Right? He wants us to be able to 
not be tossed back and forth by doctrine changes, not be overcome by sin, not walk out the door and, and just steal a car. You know, not, you know, when adversity comes, we, that we don't melt down. He wants us to be mature and strong and equipped, not in our own strength, but that we're fully in Christ, that we're rejoicing, and that we experience the joy of our salvation, the fullness of life in Jesus. So that's what it means, I think, to be spiritually formed. And then so assuming we do that, Paul tells Timothy, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, you entrust those to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So the whole goal of the church, Paul tells Timothy, is to build others up to do it over and over again. So it's a leadership development progress process as well. So those are just some samples. So the goal of spiritual formation the answer to that question would be mature and equip disciples, right? That we would be like, um, like when you get married, what's your goal? You want to be a mature and equipped spouse, right? You want to know how to be a good husband to your wife, or a good wife to your husband. You want to understand them, and you want to, you just want to be good at it. You want to be mature and and not whimsical and foolish and, and unstable. And so the goal of spiritual formation is to be a mature believer. What is the typical church plan for not just our church, but in your experience of Christendom out there in other churches, what is the typical church plan? If you said, hey, what are you, what, how do you, what do you do as a church to make mature and equipped believers? What would the answers be? What, would, what have you heard? What do people, what do churches do? What would their answers be? What's the typical church plan? Come to church on Sunday and Sunday school, right? A prayer meeting. So when I was a little boy, our church was Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. All, every week. Yep. Donna. Yeah, they add a Bible study so that you can, if you really are committed, you can join a women's Bible study. And I don't mean to make fun of that or denigrate. I'm just saying that's the next level, right? You go to a men's Bible study or a women's Bible study and, and, or a, uh, a work-based Bible study or something like that. What other things do churches do, Glenn? There you go. So now you're a leader and you go to board meetings and uh, committee meetings and uh, holy huddles, he called it. Yeah. That, uh, Barb? Yeah, so now, so when I was really on fire, I would go to evangelism training classes and, and study how to answer questions about um, objections to the faith. But, you know, go, a calling. There was a calling night when I was younger on Tuesday nights. There was a, a guy in our church who... Um, he was, he was just aggressive, assertive caller. Art England was his name. And I'm sure he's gone long now, time of the Lord. And I'm a, a teenager boy, and I was, came home from camp, fired up for the Lord. So I went calling with Art England, and we would drive, and this was back before Google, right? We're trying to find where Raven Street stops and starts. I think Raven in Wyoming or Sunlow Street, they start and stop five times, and they, there's no connection to one end to end. 
Anyway, so we were flipping through hard paper maps. I mean, we'd find somebody's house, and we'd go in there, and he would say, you know, you came to our church, so do you know Jesus? I mean, it was like a real aggressive evangelism. And I was there when he led some people to the Lord, and he would sometimes ask me to share my testimony. But I mean, I was mostly wide-eyed and, and amazed and blitzed. I have no idea. And then one time I went calling with Steve Lovelady, which became a pastor later, and he went to this lady's house, and he's, he talked about the whole Old Testament and how Jesus was uh, the only way to be saved. And, and he said to this woman, he said, do you want her to and And I wanted to get saved again. It was so persuasive. It was so encouraging. And she did. You know, So that was calling. So that's a typical church plan for getting new believers. What about the spiritual formation? What is the church's, yeah, typically, and this would be my, if you'd have asked me 10 years ago, this is how I would have addressed it. I would have said, well, we're going to teach a bunch of truth. We're going to teach, 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 and then you go out and do it. So what you do is you come here for evangelism training, and then we tell you how to share the gospel and what the gospel is, and then you go do it in your life. Or we would come and say, this is how you're supposed to be a good husband and wife, a family, a family class, right? A Bible study about parenting or a Bible study about husband and wives. And so you go through this class and learn all these things and learn all these things. And then we would say, you go, go, you go do it now. And that's usually what we do even on a Sunday morning, right? We study and teach. I preach about Jesus and I say, okay, you go out and live for Jesus this week too. And so that was basically the main answer of how I would have tried to answer the question, how do you make a mature and equipped believer? And that is I tell them the truth over and over, um, drown them in the truth, and send them out to practice. Is that working? And Randy Pope asked that question. Is it working? If you look around your church, are there dozens and dozens of people that you would describe as mature and equipped believer that if somebody was in trouble, you could send them to them and know that they'd get good counsel and good advice or that you could send them and they would not get rattled by it. The, the, the reality is in a lot of churches that there are not very many people that you would consider mature and equipped believers, right? And in a lot of ways, it's kind of if, if it was the 80-20 rule, we'd be generous in some cases. Now, I think our church is exceptional, and I want to say it's partly because of what we've been working on. But in my experience in life, there's a lot of churches where most believers are pretty, pretty anemic. Right? They know a lot of Bible knowledge, but they've not ever learned how to do it. Would you agree with that? Is that, an, is that too harsh of a assessment? Does that, does that fit with you guys, Buters? Is that your background are there as many as there ought to be? I guess that's what, it seems like you'd expect more mature and equipped believers than there are. Joel, you would think so? Yeah. Yeah, we tried to teach them a lot, yeah. Would follow the Lord, Julia, uh, Julia, maybe, yeah, yeah, and 
and that is a good category, is in youth ministry, right? Our goal for youth ministry is we want our teens to come out as mature and equipped believers, and by and large, it's amazing if they would ever even go to church at all. And there's a lot of reasons, right? There's a, there's a lot of reasons that it's super hard to become a mature and equipped follower of Jesus, um, right? There's a, there's a lot of, what are some of the, re, why, what makes it so hard to become mature and equipped? Why, why is the failure rate so high on teenagers? Yeah, so there's a, there's a very counterculture that's against the church, right? To be a follower of Jesus is really swimming upstream, in, in, especially in teen culture. You are the only one who is going to hold the line on a lot of issues. Yes, so the, the, the Julia, or Julie. Yeah, that, that is, there's, a, there's um, that phenomena that we have children's programs, youth programs. We do things for them. We, do, we entertain them. Or we, we would never admit that's what we're doing, but we try to make things fun. And then all of a sudden, phew, you know, the church doesn't even care about me anymore. And college-age ministry is super hard to do well because kids are all off to other places. And they come and go, and they're only home for the summer. And so... Yeah, it does feel like the church drops them, which I would go back and say that maybe because we failed to make them mature and equipped when they were young. Because if they really understood and were able to be mature and equipped, then they would have, that whole system that would have made them mature and equipped would have not had them fall either because they would have had roles to play in the church. Yeah, teenagers especially have, I've, if I've heard it once, I've heard it a dozen times in this last year with with um, people that I know that are in trouble. And that they, a lot of the, the world psychology and law enforcement and judges, are their, their main shtick is that the brain is not developed and doesn't make decisions well. And so you, uh, it's easy for a teenager or a young person, adolescents, to make foolish decisions and not think with the right part of the brain until they're like 26 years old or what. Which I do think is a, is a factor, but it, it in the, in the end, it kind of bothers me that it gives a permission structure to people to not live according to God's ways. A young person can uh, flee the youthful, the lust of youth, right? A young person can make it. And so how does a young man keep his way pure? By paying attention to God's word. So I, I, just because your brain chemistry isn't as good as it might be in another 10 years doesn't give you permission to Go hog wild in the meantime, but that's, you hear me crying, so. Yeah, so there's so many competing things like sports and your career and education and music and all the other things that make you a well-rounded citizen and work life and, yeah, the, the, um, the idea that Jesus is not central to our lives is pretty widespread, right? We have a lot. He, he's something we add on, not something that's central. But I would argue that that's evidence of not being a mature and equipped believer as well, right? Because a mature and equipped believer would, part of being a mature believer is to understand how it all fits together and understand that my sports life is subservient to my uh, Christian life. And so that's one of the characteristics of a mature equipped believer. And so um, if you don't have that objective, 
then it doesn't work. And I think one of the, another way to say why it's not working is if our plan is to just tell the truth, tell the truth, and then tell them to go live, what you end up with is a disillusioned learner, is, a, is what Randy Pope called it. A person who said, okay, at church I heard that I can overcome my temptation with pornography by studying the Bible better. And so I'm going to memorize verses in the Bible, and I'm going to study this, and then they go back into their normal life, and they don't stand, right? They fall back into it, and the forces at work are so strong and so great that they say, it's hopeless. I, I, I just can't do it. It must not work for me. I hear these people at church talk. The pastor says that Jesus is all you need, and people sing, he's all we need. And we would all say, isn't that great? Amen. He's all we need. And then when we go back and live in our life, it doesn't feel like it at all. As a matter of fact, my experience would be is that he's hardly any things I need. And that things that I think I need, he doesn't come to, he doesn't meet those needs at all. And so, the, so people are, by and large, when we try to solve the spiritual formation problem with more teaching, more teaching, more teaching, it's not working because it just produces, it actually counter works. It leads person to say, I tried Christianity and it didn't work because they've been taught stuff without the rest of the work. So what is the expected outcome of the current typical plan? Usually just um, higher scores on your Bible comprehension test, right? We have more Bible facts, but not a, we're not maturely equipped. Glenn. There you go. That might be it too. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah, they're very good. What, what Glenn is saying is the, what you measure is what you get, right? You, in, you, you get what you inspect. And if you're trying to get conversions and baptisms in a large youth group, no wonder out the other side when they're not part of the large youth group, they don't have any legs to stand on because you didn't, the, the objective was, if the objective was, are you a mature and equipped young, young man or a young woman to enter the world, that's a way different measure than how many headcount showed up. Donna. That so many churches now want to be a big church. They want to be a mega church. They want to have a fantastic music ministry and some really good artists. And they want to have flashy signs and a float in the 4th of July parade. And they want to be flash. But they're not, so they're valuing that and they're getting all this stuff. They're getting these huge, audit, you know, huge buildings and we have some not too far from here. So that church is considered successful in the eyes of all the other churches. And poor little us, we're never going to be able to compete with something flashy like that. But that's not, so all, of those thousand people that go to their services, how many of them are mature? How many of them are there for anything other than the flash? I don't know because I don't know them, but we've lost the sight of what what we're really supposed to be doing here, 
And if we're going to attract people to our church, it's not, it shouldn't be for flash and for all the features. You know, it's not an iPhone or some kind of computer with all these features. We're supposed to be attracting them to Christ. And that may not look pretty or successful in the eyes of the world. And neither do the missionaries and the, the people who, who live frugally, who spend their time, dedicate their time working for the Lord. They're not seen as successful in comparison to the businessman or somebody who's made it big and still a good church member. Yeah, well said. That, that, is, that is one of the snares, right? The, the seed falls among thorns and it gets choked out by the riches and cares of this world. And, and we, as a small little church, could be accused of just having sour grapes here, right? I could say, well, if we could, we'd have a float on the parade, you know? Right? We want to be slick, but, but there is a reality to the fact that Jesus' church is weak in his, his terminology. And Paul says, well, there's not many wise among us. And there's a, there has to be part of the mature and equipped believer is part of this willingness to, to roll up your sleeves and put your arms around a weak person, not a pretty person. You know? And all of the slick and glamour and the big parking lot and the, all those, I do hear you that those feel a lot like Western, even United States kind of value systems at work. Are we the biggest, brightest, newest instead of most faithful to Jesus, most loving, those variables? You were going to say something earlier too. Are we honest? We come to church Sunday morning. How are you feeling? Fine. We're great. And you know, we're not really sharing the struggles and, you know, maybe people aren't seeing the spiritual formation, the, the evolution of it, of, you know, begin at the beginning, fall back, go forward. Yeah, there's a good, that's a good point, too, is the very nature of doing this truth, 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 teaching, teaching program puts a few people in the speaker's spot and kind of hides the, the, um, the friction of real life, and people don't understand that it's hard, like you say, and we're not honest with each other. Oh, I'm fine. I'm just I'm doing my church thing now. And meanwhile, we're hurting bad on the inside. Yeah. So there, it, unless there is a safe place to do that hard work of growing, it's hard to grow. And so... You could have teenagers part of a really slick youth group that goes on a missions trip and goes to Colorado and does this or that and, and all these really cool things, and yet none of the kids ever really get to cry about where they're hurt and who's paying attention and, and how, how, are you, how do you learn to be, yeah. Any other? When I first became a Christian, I was exposed to more personal testimonies where you could see God really working in people's lives individually and that that would spur you to be more trusting in the Lord too. And I think we've kind of lost that a little bit in our church in, the, in this millennium. Yeah, the, um, the voice from the, the pew, the ability to share my experiences. I, when I was little, I was in a church that was really dynamic in that regard. I heard often the firsthand testimony of men in the electricians and construction and businessmen sharing about what God was doing in their life. And it was really in, um, 
impactful on me as a young person to hear testimonies. So I think you're right. It's one of the one of the things we like about Sunday night is we often do try to use this for that venue as well. Well, I think we've got good a good handle on the first five questions that we're trying to talk about, okay? So the next question is, what is God's master plan? If you were going to go to the Bible and say, what is his plan for how would he want us to do this? Um, I think that we would be able to defend from the scriptures that it's an accountable group and a qualified leader, a smallish kind of scenario. If you look at what Jesus did with his disciples, right? He had a ministry to the crowds. He preached to thousands and thousands. But a lot of them did not follow him. But there were some who were becoming mature and equipped. Those disciples, right? And it took them a while. They were still floundering. And we have the whole phenomenon of the Holy Spirit not being around yet. And it was God's will that they didn't understand until after Jesus rose from the dead. But what Jesus was doing was he was using, he, he had a group of guys. Everybody knew and they knew they were part of this group and they had a qualified leader. And so I, I think that that's in the Bible. And, and the other part of the, what Randy Pope would say is that it's imparting the gospel and your life. In other words, we teach and we teach and we teach and, and people, it's like eating and eating and eating and being well fed and yet nobody's getting any exercise. And so we're just getting fatter and fatter and sloppier and sloppier. And frankly, our digestive systems are just passing it through, right? We're not, we're not putting on any meat. But if you were working hard and getting food, then it turns into muscle because you're paying it, you're hungry, you're building an appetite. You know, there's, just think about it for a minute. If you were doing an evangelism training class and everybody went out and tried to share their faith and then came to the class, man, this is what happened and it didn't work. That's an entirely different learning experience than a lecture say, okay, when you go out into the byways, this is what's, you know, I, the, I have learned even in my software business that there are answers to questions that people cannot hear the answers until they ask the question. And so I, I, I want to say, don't click that, because if you click that, it'll go wrong, or something, you know, that's not the way it works. But I wait until they click it, until they get all the way, oh, man, I, why am I down in this corner of the, that's because you did this without doing that. And so that, now they understand the question so they can hear the answer. But I could I wrote that down so many times. It, it's so, you understand. We're pouring out our, our life into another person's life, not just truth, truth, truth. And so there's a, a deep, I, this is just a summary, and I, I don't doubt we could defend this from the scriptures with many verses, even the ones we've already used. But the idea of a smaller setting, so you can get rough and honest and share where you're struggling, with a leader who's qualified, and this, this sharing of life, not just truth, truth, truth. Because if it were only truth, 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 why are we wasting our time? Let's all go listen to Alistair Begg and grow up, right? Let's just all listen to the best preachers there are. But there's something else that's needed. And so um, God's master plan includes these components, I think. And so um, what do we need, Randy said, and, and so what we do is, 
you need intentionality to do the right things. You, you have to pull yourself out of this model where you, where you teach, 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 and then delegate, delegate, and start doing some other things. And that is what a spiritual formation group tries to do. A spiritual formation group, as we've named it, but it's the same basic, let's call it discipleship, it's another word for it, one-on-one, but it's not one-on-one, it's a small group discipleship. It's not a Bible study. The goal of spiritual formation group is not to learn more Bible necessarily. We certainly do, but that's not the objective. It's not a Bible study. It's also not a fellowship time. It's not a time to get connected. Because, see, I think a lot of churches have fellowship groups, but they don't have spiritual formation in those fellowship groups. With, oh, I love, you know, my kids are doing this. Oh, hey, let's meet. Let's go to your soccer game. We'll go to my soccer game. Let's carpool. Those are all cool things. We should live life together. But that doesn't do anything if we don't become mature and equipped. You follow? And so what do we need? We need intentionality to do the right things, to, to, to do the right things of discipleship. And so what are the right things to do? The last question. And this is how uh, Randy's church does it. And we've been modeling this. And again, I think this is defendable. And so what it is, is there are eight things that, um, number eight is one of the things that there are five things that we do in a spiritual formation group. So the first thing is we talk about truth, but we don't teach it with a teacher. So in a spiritual formation group, the teacher doesn't lecture like I'm doing right now. This is not how it would work. What we would do is say, okay, um, you all, we all know that we need to pray better. Amen? Amen. All right. So let's, everybody, you study. Donna and Taryn, you study this week the Lord's Prayer in Matthew. And next week, you tell us how we're supposed to pray. So it's, it's an assignment to the individuals to go out and work on it on their own. So it's not a teaching, it's an assignment. It's a truth assignment. The next time when we come together, we will do the next thing, and that's equip. So now what we do in the group is we say, okay, Taryn, what did you learn from the Lord's Prayer about prayer? And did it work for you? And did, did you try it? And so then she would talk about what she learned and what seemed to go good, and the others are in the group saying, oh, that makes sense to me. And did, what did you, how about you, Barb? Did you see the same things? And then Barb would say, well, yeah, but I saw this different. And say, okay, now let's, let's practice. Let's right now, as a group, we're going we're gonna to do something. You see how different this is than teaching and lecturing? This is, this is, in my mind, this is like what a lab class is compared to a chemistry class, right? You have chemistry class where you learn all the elements and the way they go together. And then your lab classes, you measure out two uh, test tubes and you pour. I had uh, organic chemistry lab, not a good idea. Everything in organic chemistry stinks. <laughs> so all of the nature, all of the natural chemicals make bad smells. I just wanted to let you know. But anyway, so but I wouldn't have known that from the classroom. I could have said it, but I didn't know how bad it smelled. Methane and ethane, all this. So the point is, is that the laboratory. So we're equipping. So let's try it once, Donna. And, and Taryn and Barb and me, we're going to go through the Lord's Prayer. I'll start. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And I'll pray on that sort of agenda. Then your turn. And then your turn. And then we'll do this really awkward thing that I never had done before. I did this small group stuff. And that is, so how did that feel? 
How did that go? Did you understand? What, were you distracted? And Donna, I noticed that when you talked about this part, it seemed like you were misunderstanding that thing. And so we actually give feedback about another person's prayer. Have you ever had that in your life? I mean, that's a really rare thing, and it feels almost artificial. And yet, we're not trying to um, we're not trying to get better at speaking. We're trying to understand how do you talk to Jesus? And it's no more ridiculous than to teach a husband. So when you do a sweet thing for your wife, that's helpful for her. She realizes you care about her. And so that's, it's no more insulting to help a person say, you need to be kind to your wife than it is to say, hey, when you pray, pray like this. And so we practice. We would practice praying. You know, I'm surprised the people who have been in our spiritual formation groups, you would have, I would have all thought that they were already kind of mature and equipped. But we all really learned a lot from praying on purpose to learn how to pray. I, I, can't, I cannot say it enough how we just assumed we all knew what was going on. And we didn't. We needed to practice and learn how to do it. When I took... When I learned how to be a pilot, I had to pass ground school. I had to learn how to navigate on paper and figure out which way the wind was going. I'm telling you, when you're up in an airplane, it's nothing's like that. It's all different. And when I came to learning how to land an airplane, I didn't get it. I could not figure out. My first four or five attempts, I, I kept swooping up. I wouldn't land. And I finally heard what my instructor had been saying all along. He says, you have to aim at the ground. <laughs> you know, I sort of thought that landing was, you looked away from the ground and it just happened. No, you, you land, you aim at the ground. You aim at it and then it touches your wheels. <laughs> you land. By, I had to go in the lab. And so that's what the equipping part is. I would say 80% of the time in a spiritual formation group is exactly that. Just talking about last week's assignment and then getting the assignment for next week. Hey, how do you control your thinking? Where in the Bible, you look up this verse, you look up this verse, you look up this verse, we all have assigned verses. Tell us next week what you learned about how you're gonna control your thinking. And then we pray for one another. So the accountability piece is, did you do your assignment? Because we're all waiting for your answer. So there's a, there's, this goes back to the small group, or a group, an accountable group with a qualified leader. I know that none of us are Jesus, but we're all Jesus' followers. And so if you want to follow Jesus, you can be a qualified leader. And then all of this turns into mission. How do we reach people in the world? And then we pray for one another. We have a timekeeper at the end of the hour when we have 10 minutes left. Say, no matter how good the equipping conversation is going on, no matter how deep the accountability conversation is, time's up. We got to pray for one another. So we finish right on time after an hour, and we spend a time of supplication. So if you notice, that spells teams, T-E-A-M-S. And so that's just the way that they do it at Perimeter Church. You can make your own list. But the point is that what this does is it changes the whole model, right? When you tell the truth to somebody, you equip them. It's, it's the flying lesson, not just the classroom. It's the laboratory. And then after you equip them, you hold them accountable. Are you understanding? Did you, in, in this context, in a small group, you can say, hey, I, I'm really having trouble with this area of my life. And the rest of the group can say, well, are you, 
you know, we can give each other help. And, and, he'll, and then the next week, say, so did you make progress? And, and we say, no, I didn't at all. I said, well, did you do personal worship? No, I didn't do that either. I said, you think there might be a relationship between spending time with Jesus and making progress on this area of your life? And so the accountability comes around, and then we get mission, right? So in church, we, without the small group, it was truth, truth, go do the mission. Truth, truth, go do the mission. But spiritual formation group adds these two middle layers. I help equip you. You help equip me. You learn how to do it. Then you're held accountable. And now you can go out and do it. So a mature and equipped believer has had this happen in their life. Almost anybody who's really a mature believer would be able to point at somebody in their life who came up to them, put their arm around them, say, you know, you need to be doing it this way or, or some mentor, right? Some kind of a relationship that helped you do that. So that's what spiritual formation groups are aimed at. It's the equipping and accountability part, not the, um, not the teaching part. The truth part is the given that we all study on our own and then we try to equip each other in accountability and reaching mission. I can't... I can also tell you that one of the assignments we do in the first semester is learning how to, to share our testimony. So we write out our testimony and read it to the rest of the group to receive feedback as to whether or not an unbeliever would have understood it. So the whole goal is just to be better at sharing with an unbeliever. And man, when you hear somebody else's life story after you've been in a session with them for five or six weeks, it's usually the sixth or seventh week, you know, you learn to love one another because you see what God's grace has done. And so it's, there's a, there's a lot of other things that spin out of this that I'd never had expected, like love for other believers. Like it's, it's like all the things that a mature and equipped believer would expect to experience. It's a really beautiful thing. So that's what we try to do with spiritual formation groups. And that's why I wanted to make this advertisement so that we can use this for our fall kickoff. All right, so is there any other parts of it? Uh, I know Joel have been in, but Donna's a leader. Were you in one, Barb? You, you were in one with us. Is there anybody else? So um, is there any other parts? Joel, Joel was in it. Is there any other parts that we want to add? Did, anything that you think I should add or that I missed? Hang on, let me get the recording. The part that I appreciated was, um, you know, you get told, well, you got to pray more, you got to read your Bible more. And um, I often think to myself, well, how, how do I do that better? Like, how? And so I think I appreciate, I think I appreciate a lot about the, the spiritual formation group is we do the true thing outside and we spend our time together on the how. Like, this is how you pray. This is how you write a testimony. This is how you share a gospel message. This is how you, how you read a passage of the Bible and come up with observations and, and things like that. And so it's been good for me, from a discipline standpoint, to have gone through those things. One of the things that I've discovered that I didn't probably expect was that as this group progresses, especially if the group stays together, is you form an intimacy and a trust 
And it's true, it's not a fellowship group, but you get fellowship, but you get a deeper level and you feel like you can come and you can share things that you wouldn't share with just anybody in the church. And also doing the assignments, knowing you're sharing them with other people, somehow I feel like I get more out of them because I'm looking at them not just for me, I'm looking at them for someone else. And somehow I think God uses that. And then discussing it, how many times do you get to discuss deeper biblical truth with just the average churchgoer? You really don't, because they're not there. So there's something about this process that um, God uses. And even though it's work, it's, it's a huge payoff. Very well said. I, I, really, I felt exactly the same way. Like Royce was in my first group, and it actually was Royce Hanbury's idea. He really, he put pressure on me to do something like this. And then that's why I, when I finally heard Randy Pope, I decided to start paying attention. And so I kind of owe it a lot to Royce, but uh, we haven't been in a group together because I started another group, he went another group. But anyway, Royce, there's still a level of, it's like old friends that were close friends, right? I could still say, hey, how's it going? And he can tell me if there's a hurt going on. And I can tell him, well, and there's an instant trust and, and, um, and validation. You know, we don't give advice to each other. It's loving support. It's not, it's not uh, counseling. It's encouragement. It's a, it's a really beautiful thing. So, well, our time is up. And thank you so much for participating in this recording. You are dismissed.